we're going to talk about today in First John chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip right over there. And uh, we'll see if I can stand most of this morning. We'll see what happens with that. Anyway, love by you. Who do you love? That was kind of the questions. I kind of started thinking about that this week and trying to process. You know, we, I know what I'm preaching on the book of First John, but I, I kept trying to really process this portion of Scripture today. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And I was really trying to, to bounce my brain around and said, okay, two loves, who do you love? What do we love? Do we love God? Do we love the world? That's really what it boils down to. God's love for us. Do you feel God's love for you? Do you know God cares about you more than anyone else does? You know, you have to either... You know, and I asked myself this question. This is what I started with. Can we love the world and still love Christ? Can we love the world and still love Christ? And it's kind of hard to figure that one out sometimes. Because I still like doing some of the worldly stuff. Oh, no, preacher, you shouldn't say that. Guess what? You do too, whether you admit it or not. You don't, hey, God knows when you're honest or not. So, so what is he meaning here when he's going to get into this? It has to be the one or the other because it's like oil and water. They don't mix. Our love for God has to be the most important to us than anything in the world. For John tells us that we cannot love the world and love Christ at the same time because the world squeezes out the Father's love. The world is self-centered. The world is fading away. That's what we're going to hear this morning in these three verses. And so the first reason that, that we are not to love the world is simply, I think, because love squeezes out the Father's love. Look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pretty familiar passage, or maybe a passage you kind of relate to or hear uh, in 1 John. Sometimes that's one of those, there are those verses that we memorize out of different books. This is one of those we memorize as a kid. Do not love the world. Now, okay, so I ask myself, what is he talking about here, world? Um, you know, really, when I, it breaks it down, it's kind of like thinking about this. It's a world system that's, that's got four major objectives. And, and so my little brain figured it out this way. Maybe yours can look at it a little different, but that's okay. But here are four words that popped into my mind when I think about loving the world. And the first of the four words is this, fortune. Fortune. The second is fame. The third is power. And the last is pleasure. Fortune. The system's driven by money. It feeds on materialism. Um, those kinds of things. I want more. Fame. I want my 15 minutes of fame in the world. I want to be on TV. I want a popularity. I want to be known. I want to be, I, I, I have this longing to be known by everyone or liked by everyone. Power. Having influence or maintaining control over person, places, or things. Um, desire to manipulate or to maneuver. Others should do something for one's own benefit. You can think of all those kinds of things, and even pleasure. And, and he's talking here in this passage. We're going to talk more of the central desires and needs, but other things as well. Uh, best summed up by, if it feels good, do it, which is our world says, it's about me. That's what it's important. I think the point John is making here for us is that love of everything in the world system, fortune, power, pleasure, uh, are contrary to what the gospel tells us about love. As believers, we're not to love the world or anything in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Now, I read that, and then my brain went to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then my other brain flipped over to um, not just John 3.16, but there are other verses uh, like John 2.2, which says, the son made atonement for sins of the world. I'm thinking, okay, we're going to dig a little deeper here. What does he mean by world? Um, what, what is he, what's he driving at here? What, what, what is he saying to us? And, and really, it's about the context where the world, word is written. It's the word cosmos. Uh, you might hear the word cosmos when you think of science. It actually comes from the Greek cosmos, which is the word John uses here for world. And so you have to look at what's surrounding it to understand if he's talking about three different things. One, the physical world, the universe, the planets, the, you know, the planet we're on, the earth, that's a world. He's also talking about the world of persons, the persons and their, their attitude and their experiences in around and what they do. He's also talking about an evil organized world system controlled by the evil one, Satan. He uses those in different words, in different contexts through 1 John and, the, and his Gospel of John. So when people love the world, they are misapplying our human emotion in a way that leads to their destruction. You know, love really is a neutral. It can be good or bad. Think about it. I love my wife. That's a pretty good thing. I love hot rolls with butter. That's not a very good thing. Well, it is if I can say no, right? Yeah, right. Uh-huh. That you see the difference? You got the picture. You can understand that. So you look at those kind of things. Um, but John charges us that neither the world in general or the things of the world in particular, those are the things we are not to love. If, we, if we're going in the right direction with Christ, we look and say, do I love this, what's going on? Oh, that's, God wouldn't want me doing this, so I'm not going to hang out on that way of doing things. Our allegiance must not be divided. Our affection must be focused and specific. Our love springs from the fact that as a believer, we have loyalty and commitment to God. This verse tells us clearly that, that we cannot love the world and God at the same time. And that's, that's, that's that kind of struggle within us. And we do that within ourselves as well. Love is not just a feeling. Love is a commitment. Uh, the absolute nature is striking here and it compels us to be careful and serious in our reflection on it. So when you read that, do not love the world or things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's one of those verses we have to stop and say, hmm, I need to process that. I need to think about that. It's not just a feel-good verse or, a, oh, don't tell me that verse. It's a verse that says, contemplative thought within me, am I loving the world? You know, God's kingdom is at war with the world around us. The two will never coexist peacefully, and if we pledge allegiance to one side, we declare opposition to the other side. So when we say we love the world, we show we don't love the Father. That's what John is saying to us by our actions, by our voices, by what we do. It doesn't mean that we as believers should remove ourselves from all contact with the world. Some say, oh, Glenn, I'm just going to hang out with Christians. I just want to die so I can go to heaven. I don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. That's not what he's telling us to do. He's not telling us also to be stoically um, refrain from anything pleasurable. I will not do, you know, and some people do that. And I'm like, come on. Where's your humanity? You know, what, you know what's, what's behind this facade? What's behind this stone face? And this, you know, are you not moved to tears when you see this happen or you hear that story? If that doesn't, as the old preacher friend of mine in, in Tennessee used to say, an old black preacher's name was, I can't remember his name right now. I think it's George. He said, if that don't ring your bell, your clapper's missing. 
Now, that may not make sense to us to think about bells. Some of you older folk know what a clapper inside the bell is. But that's what he would say when he would get to a point. He'd say, God's ringing that bell. If you're not hearing it, your clapper's missing. Check it out. So, you know, when we as believers, when we interact with the world and its pleasures, we must turn away specifically from those things that God's Word demands. So that's why it's important to understand the Word of God and to, and to learn what's right and what's wrong. Not just intent, intrinsically, we know some of those things, but there are other things that, that can lead us down a path. You know, like Matthew 22, 37, and 38, Jesus says these things about loving God. What does it look like? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And then he said, love your neighbors yourself. We talked about that. The two commandments that Jesus gives us to do in Matthew. You cannot love God and be assessed by fortune, by one more dollar. You know, Rockefeller was asked many years ago, uh, how much money is enough? He says, one more dollar than I have when he was the richest man in the United States at the time. When we get a lot, we want more. Oh, I want a newer one. You know, I've got an iPhone 10 sitting over there who's acting up a little bit today. Oh, man, but wait, an iPhone 10R is out. An iPhone, I don't know what the newest ones are. You know, hey, I'm, I'm two ver or a version or two behind, you know. But I also know when I buy a phone that I just have to close my eyes and not buy another phone for three years until they rotate up. Our computers, when I buy a laptop, I tell people when I was in that business, that when you buy a computer, if you're buying a new laptop, new computer, the moment you buy it, something new will come out next week. So buy what you need, the most you can afford, what you think you're going to have for the future, and then just don't worry about what happens for the next three to five years. It's the same principle. Sometimes we do the same thing. We get obsessed about what's the newest, greatest, bestest. You cannot love God and be obsessed with the love of fame. Our world is, is a people of fame. That's what we like to have. We like to be noticed. We like to uh, we follow uh, families that are in the news absolutely nothing but for being famous. They have no putting into society of anything other than being rich and famous and we like to live their lives vicariously. And it's like, come on. We cannot love God and be obsessed by power. And people are. We cannot love God and be obsessed by the love of pleasure. It doesn't mean we don't have pleasure. It doesn't mean we don't enjoy pleasure. It means we don't love that and make that our primary obsession. If you find yourself doing that, then you need to ask yourself, am I hanging out in the world too much? Am I loving the world more than I'm loving God? Do we love any of those things? Do we love God? All these things begin, the more they begin in our life, they squeeze out the love of the Father. And to me, it, it's best illustrated when Jesus talks about the, in Matthew, about the salt and light. Look at this little picture up here on the screen. Salt and light. You know what that is? It's a piece of rock salt. I don't know if you can really, you can't really see it, but I pulled that one up because I like it because there's a little dirt inside it. It's not pure white and ground fine, or, or sea salt that has all the stuff in it. We use sea salt at the house. But when Jesus was talking about if salt loses its saltiness, how do you get unsalted salt? It loses its savor, as King James says, or its saltiness. And I kept thinking to myself, how does salt ever lose its saltiness? By the impurities that get in it. The more impurities, the less salty it tastes. In fact, in uh, the days... When Jesus was there, they would get their salt from the Dead Sea. If you've ever had a chance to be in Israel or, or Jordan, know the places where the Dead Sea is, you know that you literally can't drown. You'd have to force yourself to drown because you walk out there, you know there's salt in it. And you float, 
And it once was enough for me, trust me. I don't, it's, ugh. I can still feel it. All right? But it's salty. And when that water rooter seed on the land, there's mud and stuff, and they sell that all for the cosmetics and things. If you get dead sea mud and all that, it's a big deal in the cities and around. But there's a layer of salt. And if you get there early enough, in those days, you would take the salt right off the top. And you could get the clean salt right between the dirt on the top and the dirt on the bottom. And that was the best salt to get. But if you didn't get there, because you were poor, and you had to work and do those things, you got the leftovers. And it became useless. And they would use salt in their ovens, and it would burn up, and it would become useless. And Jesus says it's good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. And then it becomes like concrete, which we could have used some salt out here today, it looks like. You know? It's that kind of stuff. But it's the impurities of the salt. So if you and I hang out with the world so much, our saltiness becomes salty, less salty, less salty. We become so impure that you really can't tell where the salt begins and the impurity ends. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus is asking us the same question that he asked Peter on the beach. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. If you remember that passage. How much do we love God? Don't let the world squeeze out the Father's love. Here's the second verse. <coughs> verse 16. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but of the world. You know, someone in our world today uh, said, Pride is like self-centeredness, and we call it a narcissist in our world. Uh, if you remember your Greek mythology, I don't even teach Greek mythology anymore in high school or college, but should. There was a young man named Narcissus, and I like this little picture up here. I found this, and I thought, this is really cool. So uh, can you see what he's got? Go ahead, hit, hit the next button. It's Narcissus will pop the top. I messed up. Narcissus today, it's Instagram. Some of you don't even understand what that is. Selfies, Instagram. Oh, wait. Let me show you my life. Here's a moment in my life. Now, if you remember Narcissus, or maybe you forgot, he was the most handsome man ever, and he knew it. And everybody would fall in love with him, and he would break their hearts, and he could never love anybody. And then one day he sees himself in, in a pool of water, and he says, oh, you're the most beautiful person I've ever seen. And he begin, leans down to kiss this most beautiful person he's ever seen, falls in and drowns. That's one of the stories. And he becomes a flower. I mean, you know, that's, that's the story about all the narcissists. I mean, you have all those, you know, truths they teach with those from Greek mythology. But, you know, when you think about it, that's the essence of what John's writing about here. It's the essence of sin. It's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about, about who I am. It's my will be done. That's John's point, is that the world offers craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a craving for the pride and achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from the world. This verse explains in vivid terms, I think, the, the things that come from evil, <clears throat> the evil world, and attempt to lead us as Christians astray. Yeah, it's easy to fall on the paths of, of the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. It's so easy to hang down that path. The problem is not that God created the material things of the world. The problem is that people of the world have made that their idols instead of God. The things listed as the cravings for physical pleasure and everything we see in the pride 
It's not an all-inclusive list, by the way, guys. It's just the way this was written. Think about how Jesus spoke of adultery. It begins not with the act, but adultery begins with what? The heart. Look at Matthew 5, 28. It's on your screen for you. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. His heart. Wait a minute. I don't like that verse because I've been faithful all my life. Guess what? It's about intent, guys, in our hearts. And women, too. Not just guys. It's no doubt the people of ancient Ephesus understood this because remember in the pagan world in their cities, ritual sex was everywhere to worship their deities. And Jesus was saying it's not about what we do physically as much as it's about the intent of our heart. Yes, the physical's wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what's our intent? In our world today, sex in its immoral and grotesque forms is splashed from our movies, television, magazines, phone, computers, you name it, it's there. We're indonated by it. What we tolerate Today, we accept tomorrow. You know, things that we would have never accepted when I was a kid, you couldn't see on TV, you couldn't read in magazines that you could get, you couldn't do those things, are commonplace billboards on the highway today. But he's also talking about for lust, every, lust for everything we see. You know, the Bible's full of stories of people who sinned because they craved after things that were pleasing to the eye. Go back to Genesis. I always think of one of the first things when I think about the lust of the eyes. Genesis 3, 6, you remember that one? And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And gave some to her husband that was with her, and he ate. And you know the rest of the story. We hear of Adam and Eve. Disobeyed God and sin entered the world, and they were cast out of the garden. Or even King David. Um. Man after God's own heart, King David, whose songs we love to sing, whose psalms lift us up, is the same guy that is walking around one afternoon, as Samuel 11 says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, and he saw the roof of another, a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and said, is this not Bathsheba, the, son, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent a messenger to her and said, you know, basically, come to my chambers. And the Bible says she lay with him and she became pregnant. And then, oh, it doesn't stop there. David calls Uriah in. says, hey, why don't you take a little R&R &R with your wife here? He says, I will not, Paul. We're fighting a battle. Gets him drunk and tries to do it. Doesn't work. So then David becomes a murderer. When he tells Joab, says, put him up at the front of the wall and pull everyone back so he will be killed and let me know. And then the baby dies, if you remember that. The rest of the story. This is Solomon's mother, by the way. Think about those things. King David, the man after God's own heart, was a murderer and adulterer. Crazy. God still forgives us. There's not a sin you've committed or I've committed or we ever will commit that God cannot forgive. That's the beauty. The root of all sin is the idol of ourself. Philippians 2 says this to us. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Are you so self-centered you're missing people around you? 
It's this is what causes caused Satan to rebel against God. It's what caused Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. It's what caused Cain to kill Abel. It's what caused David to sin with Bathsheba. What caused David to murder, causes murder, robbery, and rape, such. You just go on and on in our world today. There's only one solution to that problem, and that is the cross. The cross is the opposite of selfishness. Because at the cross, Jesus did the most unselfish thing in the history of humankind. He gave himself for the sins of all of us. He laid down his life. And you and I lay our selfishness down at the foot of the cross and confess our sins to Christ and trust in him and follow him and, and trust in God's mercy. We call that being saved. We call that having a new relationship. We call that whatever. But what it means is we come to the place in our life where it says, I cannot do it. I have to take this free gift of biggest reason that we shouldn't love the world is this is its conclusion look at the last verse 17 the world will pass away and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever our world is dying that's the heart of John's argument the final verse contrasts the outcomes of our our two loves of two lives of of two orientations towards life, which are you? When we live a life in the will of God, all the things this life has to offer are really just empty imitations of what God is for us the best. The things of this world seem to be of great value. They're really worthless compared to the eternal blessings of what comes from God. So if we had everything in the world and we lose our soul, what do we gain? This passage reminds us that the things of the world, even the earth itself, will one day pass away. But the kingdom of God will be forever. The people who live in rebellion to God and their sinful desires are focusing upon a world that is dying. You and I are dying from the moment we take our first breath to the day someone pronounces us gone. We're dying. We're getting older. We're doing those things. You know, it seems like you watch the kids grow up and you turn around and, and all of a sudden, where did those times go? Well, I talked with someone last night, stopped by the house and we were visiting a little bit. And it was hard to believe we'd, when I said, yeah, we start our 25th year here. And I'm thinking, 25 years? That's a quarter of a century. That's old. Doesn't seem like it. But my body feels like it now when I overdo. But where does the time go? And compared to eternity, it's really nothing. Compared to where we will spend eternity with Christ if we choose to follow him and choose to accept him, choose to have a relationship with Jesus. The kingdom of God will be forever and the people, Christians understand that the world will not last and no one lives forever. And as believers who do the will of God, we know we will live forever. That's our hope. And John links the believer's confession here with his conduct by using the word Whoever does the will of God abides forever. He's saying our conduct shows what we truly believe. It doesn't mean we don't fail. It doesn't mean we don't sin. It doesn't mean that we don't stumble. But it means our nature and how we live life on the whole. When you look at that, John is exhorting his readers to live as Jesus lived, focusing upon the will of the Father. Jesus will come again, and when he does, he'll put an end to the world. There's 
Second Peter tells us, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are all done will be exposed. Jesus will come again to deal with the world and Satan and all the evil. Satan will be thrown in the lake of fire and judge those who choose to love the world rather than those who choose to love the Father. He'll put it into all the physical cravings and the everything of the, we see, the pride in our achievements and possessions. He'll put an end to selfishness and pride. But to those who choose to follow Christ, those who choose to love the Father, then the world, he will bring us to the heavenly city where there's no more night, no more pain, no more sadness. There will be no middle ground here. You either choose to love the Father or love the world. Who are you going to choose? John tells us that we cannot love the world and love Christ because of these things, just to remind you. The world squeezes out the Father's love. You cannot love the world and the Father or one or the other, but not both. The world is self-centered. The world says it's all about me and, and what I want, but Jesus says it's all about what the Father wants. The Bible says the world will pass away. The world tells us, let's live in the moment. It feels good, do it. Take it now. Jesus says, live for eternity by trusting me. Bottom line, it's up to you. Here it is. Which will you choose? It's your choice. I hope that you will eventually and have chosen to follow Jesus. I wish I could do it for you. Everybody that's a Christian wishes they could do it for their kids, grandkids, everybody else, but we can't. Just because you come to church, you know, it's kind of like the old cat that had a bunch of kittens in the cornflake box. They're not cornflakes. They're kittens. Right? You can hang out in the box of a church. It doesn't make you a Christian, guys. It's about a relationship with Christ. My prayer, my hope, is that you will seek that out. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word today. We are thankful that we're able to hear from John, who tells us the world will pass away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide or live forever. Lord, I am thankful for those that have chosen that path. And I pray today for those that need to make that choice. May you encourage them, may you strengthen them, may you help them ask the questions if they don't know how to get there. We know you're bringing all to you. Father, it's been a, a tough week for a lot of folks, a lot of things happening. In our world today, those that are sick, those that are devastated by the waters again, Lord, we know that you're in control. We just lay it all out before you. Help us to trust you during this unique time we're in, in our world, in our neck of the woods right now. Bless us again and bring us together again to study more from your word. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.